Your question was, how would you phrase it? I don't know how I don't know how to face it because uh, you talk about a lot of power of Holy Spirit, uh, but how to distinguish it as something as a charismatic church, but they don't uh, want to label their charismatic church. They just say that we we believe in the Holy Spirit church, something like that on the lie. How are you going to say the difference? That's a good question. But, but let, me, let, me just, let me address another issue and come back to that because do you know for so many years what was done with Peter? Or let's take Mary, okay? Mary, the mother of God kind of stuff, right? And so that what the Catholics did with that, and so for many years we, would, we were afraid of talking about Mary because it would sound like. And so therefore, but you see, Mary doesn't belong to the Catholics. This Mary is a biblical figure who is blessed above all women, right? The other thing is Peter. I think the passage says, upon this rock I'll build my church. I think he was referring to Peter directly. I think he was. But you see, we shied away from that because the Catholics have made him a pope and all this kind of stuff. See, what we, we've got to be careful because I told you, I've, I've spoken in a um, Bible school and seminary up in Winnipeg or Manitoba. And when I get done, I go to lunch. I've only spoken there once. I've spoken the power of God, right? It wasn't from this context, but I've spoken the power of God. People are saying, this guy is a Wemberite. And now, if you know Wember, Wember is the one who says, if you really believe it, let's go do it, raise the dead, all this kind of good stuff, right? You know what? You want to call me that, call me that. But you see, the issue, see, has nothing to do... They do not have a corner on the Holy Spirit, see. And see, so I, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I did a conference in Japan years ago. It was supposed to be for one organization, but then they broadened it. It says, can we have all the evangelicals come in? And I spoke on the Holy Spirit there, and there were charismatic people there, there were Baptist people there, Presbyterians there. But you know what? Affirmation across the board, because when you teach the truth of the Bible straight from the Bible, everybody is blessed by it. But I don't shy away from those things, but that is the difficulty, because they've taken it to an extreme, which is a scary thing to me. And I'm meeting with one of them on Thursday this next week. But they, they take it to an extreme, and it's amazing what they do with it, but we should not shy away from talking about the Spirit of God and the power of God, even though it is a thing that they've picked up on and made it a part, the central part of their message. Does that make sense? Okay, so, um, yeah, the, the problem is, is what they've done, they've taken it to an extreme in so many cases. On the other hand, you know what they are? They're literalists. Many of them are. And that's what we are, too. So, therefore, you see, there are so many common grounds, but what they've done is push it to an extreme. And we've got to be careful that we don't shy away from the subject because we're afraid of. But on the other hand, we need to be willing to confront it lovingly when the issue comes up. Um, It's just my my concern. For example, I just did a funeral, and there was a lady who was the... Who was there? I watched her when she was saved as a teenager. She's on drugs and into sex, and God radically transformed her life. Where I became angry is when somebody at work tried to tell her, You need another work of grace beyond what you've already received. That bothers me. And that's when I become very much involved in that because when you're trying to take somebody whom God has radically changed and want them to have this quote unquote experience that you are discussing, see, therein lies the problem. But they're not enemies of ours. They'll be in heaven with us. So we need to understand that, too. But it is, uh, yeah, I could, there's, I could tell you a lot more about that. My own journey to try to understand that more clearly. 
but by the same token, that's don't shy away from the truth of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the power of God because of, because they don't have a corner on the market. They just don't. To that, test, test, test. Sort of a follow-up to that, uh, this question, what does the Bible teach about the timing of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Timing of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I'm not quite sure what's by that. Or Well, let me, because um, I can't, we, our time was limited, so I just, let me just give a cursory answer to that. Because I'm, I'm actually, that's one of the things I'm writing on. Only for this, not specifically that, but this. You know, the interesting part in 1 Corinthians, he says you're either soulish or you're spiritual. Okay? That's what you are. For all of us who are believers, let me just tell you, we're spiritual people. We may not act like it, but we are it. Okay? Much as he calls us saints. We're saints, we're spiritual people. You cannot be a child of God without being a spiritual person. Then, 1 Corinthians 12, people quote the verse, but they don't, they use it for a different purpose. For we've all been immersed, okay, in one spirit, not by one spirit. We've been immersed in the spirit of God. All of us have. The minute you came to faith in Christ, you were immersed in him. And then it says we've been made to drink. Uh, I, I use it this way. It's a different verb. But listen, I've been immersed in the spirit of God, immersed in him, and he's been immersed in me. You can't have any more of the Spirit than you have. My friends, a child of God, you are a spiritual person. You are indwelt in a massive way by the Spirit of God, you see. And from the very point of salvation, the empowering by God is yours. Now, to the degree you understand it and appropriate, that's a whole other issue, right? But it's not like God will give you the Holy Spirit later. It is a part of the initial experience when you come to Him. And you cannot be a child of God aside from being immersed in the Spirit of God. The whole point of that passage in 1 Corinthians 12 is that it says we have all been immersed in Him. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, it doesn't matter who we are. We've all been this way, otherwise we're not a child of God. And I, I want to address the issue, see, in there is because I want people to understand how spiritually endowed and empowered they are. Everybody who's a child of God is. Now, the problem is in the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, is the trouble is we're not living like it. He says, I need to speak to you as carnal because you, you're, not living, you're living like a fleshly person when you're not a fleshly person. The part, problem isn't to make us spiritual. We are spiritual. The problem is we need to live like it. And so, just tell you something, God the Spirit has been poured out in your life, and i got to tell you what, you can't have any more of Him, but He needs more of you. That's the truth, okay? He needs more of you, not you more of Him. He needs you to yield to His empowering because the empowering is yours. Yes. Test, 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 test. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, there's a simple question here. Um, can we get a copy of the PowerPoint? We missed some notes. Um, possibly not. Uh, so quickly, I think some people weren't able to write. Yeah, but see, that's down. why I need to come back another day and we do the rest of it. No, anyhow, um, <laughs> there, there are reasons, but uh, yeah, I'm not possessive or something like that, but... Uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see. He'll think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> right. The other thing, somebody may have to generate it, but go ahead, yes. All right. Here's another one. Um, uh, my quiet times feel more, and this goes back to, I think, uh, a uh, passage on desiring yes. pure milk of the word. My quiet times feel more like a chore or routine than a desire. What do I need to do to change it? 
And the second part is, how can I encourage our kids to love the Word? What did you do in your family? Okay, let me tell you, I am writing on that right now too. No, 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 I am. No, no, no let, let me explain to you why that, because it's a personal journey. My dear mother used to leave tracks by my bed, see, to try to encourage me to, to read the Bible. I remember coming home from football practice, and I'm seeing on my side this little track, see. I didn't start reading. I started reading the Bible regularly on my own, miles away from my parents. They were in Africa. I was in California. Uh, they'd just gone back to the field. I started at the age of 18. I've been doing it ever since, and I'm now 60, almost 67. Um, I didn't do it because my mother told me to it. I didn't do it because some church person said you ought to do it. I did it because I used to get up early in Africa, and there was we were no electric lights, so I'd take my trusted little flashlight, and I'd walk through the house to the other side of the house, and I'd see a light under a door. I'd push the door open, and there was my father early in the morning either on his knees in prayer or reading his Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I do it because I saw him do it. And when I saw him do it, I imitated. And it, it's, it was just something my mother tried to get me to do, but it didn't work that way. But when I started, it was from within. And you, you don't want to have it from without. All of you have raised children understand this. I prayed for the day when it would become an internal reality to each of my children, not just reading, but just the whole spiritual walk. And each of my children, I watched them do it at different times in their life. But you see, you don't want to pressure from without. You want it to be a change from within. You know, it's like dieting. My, my uh, oldest daughter, when she got married, she says, I told my husband to hold me accountable for my weight. And I'm, I didn't say a word to her, but I thought, oh, no, you didn't do that, did you? You, you know what? External pressure doesn't make a person wash their weight. It's when they internally realize they need to do it, and all of a sudden they, they, something snaps within, and then they have the will to do. I mean, with God it is that way. It, it has to come from within, and I just, so I tell you, um, do it yourself. Don't, don't do it ostentatiously to show people you do it. That's not the whole point. Don't, don't try to show people. I don't sit in front of the living room reading my Bible to show my kids I do it. That's not what I do. Um, by the way, I'd go to camps like this where I'd be in a, in a room with other people. And I didn't want to show off, you see, reading my Bible. But then I finally said, you know what? This is my relation with God. And I'm not trying to show anybody anything. So I do it because I saw it done. And I saw the impact it had on my father's life. Now, let me talk to you about the, the meaningful part of it. I ran, for goodness, 38 years. I do some, but, but not much anymore. But I probably will be back at it again, but that's all right. I have uh, my own stint on purpose. But disciplining myself to do that wasn't a tough thing to do. But I, in fact, I did the marathons, okay? I, was, I would do a 20-mile day on, uh, I think, on a Friday. And to do that, I had to be at school. I'd go to early, so I'd be there about 5.30 or 6. So I'd be on the road at 2.30 in the morning running. But I made a commitment, no reading, no running, because I knew if I ran first, then I'd get done. I'd have everything else to do, and I wouldn't do it. And it wasn't because of some ritualistic thing. I just determined I, if I was going to start running at 2.30, I had to get up early enough to be able to spend time with the Lord before I did it. And then I, I prayed as I ran. Let me just tell you about that. There were some ladies, three ladies, going through cancer, and I prayed for them as I ran every day. Uh, I, that's what I do. I pray when I run. 
dear lady, I never met her, not cancer, but she was expecting a child. And I, I, I can show you the half a block here, half a block there. I prayed for her. Then as soon as I did it, I started praying for my daughter. That's what I do. I used to pray for this one lady. A mile from her house, I'd start praying for her and pray the other side. And when she had her 25th anniversary, when we had her 25th anniversary, she came. She said, I just want to thank you because you prayed for me as I walked through cancer. And God has done what he's done in my life. But, but so, so the point I'm making with this, it was ritualistically doing was easy to do in one sense. But I used to run and gut it out. I just, I, okay, that's the term I use. I go out and I push as hard as I could for the time I did to get five, six miles in, do a half hour, come in, take a shower, and I was almost ready to throw up when I came in. I read the Bible the same way. I just did it mechanically. One summer, a young fellow in his 20s, I was in my 40s, he says, you know, would you run with me? He said, I want to build up to two hours. That's okay. So it's during the summer. I can do that. You know what? It wasn't the pressure to finish. So we had fun. We started running through different communities, looking at different houses. It just changed my reading life because I said, you know what? This is fun. Not just doing it to get it over with, but enjoying the journey. Are you with me? So I started reading that way. In fact, I used to do it where I read so many pages of Old Testament, so many pages of New Testament. But then, you know what? There would be passages I just wanted to read and enjoy. I said, forget that stuff. I just want to enjoy this passage. Maybe I'll go read it again tomorrow, see? Maybe one chapter is all I need. Maybe five verses. See, I read it for the refreshment of my soul, not for some, you know, trying to get through the Bible so many times a year. Nothing wrong with getting through the Bible so many times a year. I've done that. And now I'm having the time of my life. I am. I'm reading through First Chronicles right now. I've, I've just been through it and then through First Kings, Samuel and Kings. And I'm reading through the Gospels. And I'm just, you know what? I'm just choosing where I want to read. And I'm just having fun reading there. And I'm looking for the Savior. And uh, just go read about Asa sometime. My friend King Asa from Chronicles. I tell you what, it radically changed my life. It just did. But, but hear me carefully. All I'm saying to you, you know, if you make it ritualistic, it will be get it over, get it done kind of stuff. I did that for too many years. Enjoy it. I read. I start with Psalm 119. That's where I start. A section of Psalm 119 because I'm getting into the word and I want to prepare my heart for the word. When I'm done with that and I've responded to the passage on the word in my own heart, then I go to another psalm just to deal with my relationship with the Lord and worship. And that's what I do there. And I worship him. Then I move to a proverb, the proverb of the day. And, of course, you just take today's Proverbs 3, you see, and so that's the way it goes. Then I read Old Testament and New Testament. That's what I do. So I've done for however many years now. Now, it's not a ritualistic thing, but you see the, the purpose of all of this. See, to prepare my heart for the Word, prepare my heart for the Lord, prepare my heart to deal with people today. Then to just read the Old Testament, and I'm looking for the Savior. That's the big difference, okay? I used to read about Job and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm not re- I read about them, but I'm trying to see what God is trying to say to my soul. See? And I tell you, I read from the English text, not from the Hebrew or Greek, because I want God to talk to me in my language. By the way, in Africa, I thought I'd help them. I said, one of you know, you have to read one time through in your own language. And they came to me afterwards. They said, don't do that. Because we've had all our education in English, and we don't do well in our own language. So I said, okay, go back to English then. So, only say to you, make it refreshing, don't make it a legalistic thing. And let your children find it from within. And it will be much more exciting than if you've imposed it from without. It will be. But model it. You prohistimi, that word I tell you, to lead. 
By the way, if you go on the website, take the section, the, the thing on mentoring elders or whatever I have it entitled there, read that. It would be good for your soul because so much of what you're doing, you're standing before your family. Lead them by example. Lead them by example. And if you do that, they will imitate what you do. I want to pray like my father. I want to be consistent in reading like my father. I want to be a servant like my father. I just want to be like my father. But he was so much like the Savior, and I want to go beyond that to be like the Lord. But I just tell you, it's that modeling that does it. It is. You, uh, you shared about how you showed your son out the door. Or... on what the result was and how did you decide oh you don't want to go there uh, only only known for this reason okay I did it only because I believe when I when I teach a passage like here you see I've got to live it okay so I teach second Thessalonians chapter 3 which is the only passage that truly deals with the disfellowshipping in the full sense of the term, okay? The problem has been addressed in chapter, in the first epistle, he now does disfellowshipping in the second. I read that, and my wife and I sat and talked, and it's just amazing because we just realized it wasn't some major sin. It was a lack of willingness to submit the authority of the home. And by the way, if you did, you see, we inspired ourselves. We do church discipline. We discipline people for immorality. My friend, they were being disfellowshipped for an unwillingness to submit to the authority of the elders. You couldn't get by with that in America if you tried. You probably wouldn't want to try it in America. So I just sat with my wife that Sunday afternoon and we said, you know what? We have no choice. And so he came home and we showed him the door. And, and I had people say to me, you ought to go out and find him. In fact, some guy, you know, sabotaged him by taking him into his house. But that's all right. It just makes it last a little longer. Um, but I, I said, you know, I wrote him a letter one time. Didn't beg him to come back. I just started the letter out as, I love you, I love you, I love you. I've cupped copy. Um, I wanted him back, but I wasn't going to make concessions to get him back. And I said, if you decide to come back, we meet outside the door, not inside the door. And if there's change, you come back. If there's no change, you don't come back. It's simple. And I've watched people where they've gone for 10 years. I, I did a ministry up in Canada just some years ago. And a, and a fellow, I told him what an impact his father had in my life at the ripe old age of 13 out in the mission field. He's a godly man with a godly family. And he says, my only regret, I didn't come back to God in time to pray with my dad before he died. See, I understand that kind of thing, see. See, that's why we don't discipline churches. We're afraid if we put them out, they won't come back. We're afraid if we put children out, they won't come back. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it is because you shouldn't model what you do after me. It's just something I just had to do before God. I read the Word. I knew what I had to do. And for my wife to do it, my goodness, it was massive. Let me tell you what happened. He called her up. He said, will you come pick me up so I, I wasn't home. I come pick me up so I can wash my clothes. She says, not on your life. My wife, okay, because she was one who, I mean, this isn't she, okay. She says, not on your life. She says, you know what, if you want to live the way you should and be in this home, I'll wash your clothes for you. But she says, I'm not coming to pick you up. So lo and behold, he had somebody else bring him by to wash his clothes. I'm not home now, mind you. So he washes his clothes, he takes a shower, and then she says to him, minus me, minus even telling me. She says, you understand, this is the last time. You're not welcome to be brought back here by anybody to wash your clothes. 
And when you want to make your heart life right with the Lord and with us, then you can come do that. And I'm glad to have you back here, and I'll do them for you. I was that, that was so impressive to me because it's so out of character for the natural inclination of my wife. But he came back. And um, then I thought I wouldn't get rid of him. I just praised God. A lady came along and got him out of my house. Um, but I walk alongside of him in ministry today. He's, he's been a student of mine at seminary. He's a pastor today. Been a missionary. Outstanding man of God. I'd love to sit under his ministry. But oh, did he give me a struggle. My goodness, that journey was a tough one for me. I, I, even when we get into it, I, 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 in my own soul, I, I weep. It was just a tough struggle. But somebody saw him in, in overseas and said to him, you must have had a struggle. He says, I did. And he says, your dad didn't have enough time for you. He says, no, my dad always had time for me, and I did. There was nothing he walked through I didn't walk through with him, nothing. But it was a tough journey. It was a tough journey, but how rewarding today to watch where he is. But listen to me. You must be consistent to the Word of God, not consistent to your own opinion of what might happen. And God will honor that. He just will. I just pray he doesn't have to do it to one of his kids. But anyhow. Yeah. But I I don't, you know, it's it's a personal thing, but uh, I'd do it again. But he was young, younger than you would probably do it, even if you're going to do it. Um, but it's, it's something, I don't tell people to do it. In your heart, you know what you need to do when you need to do it. And, but you need to be true to that. But it's the word that drove it. It wasn't, it wasn't somebody telling me this is how you ought to do it. I'd never seen it before, but um, yeah. That's what it is. Um, switching to... Um uh, the philosophy of church ministry. Yeah. Uh, the question is, uh, what is your view of uh, the home church movement where they don't have a uh, physical building, no pastor, they just gather neighbors together and start a church on Sundays? Sounds like the Bible to me. No, anyhow, l- listen, listen to me carefully. The one thing you don't want to do, now, the body I will worship with my sons in is in the home. We did it on purpose for this reason, though. I designed the house. It's 4,000 square feet, 4,005. It's designed so that worship can happen house, but not, you know, forever. But I've been in churches where you spend so much time going out to, you know, buy, to rent a property or to put so much money into buying a building and to renting an office. So we build it so that if you come to the house, you can get into his office without going in the house. The living is upstairs. A lot of the other stuff is down. Now, we didn't do it to create a home church per se. But let me tell you something about being in a home. You function much more biblically than you do otherwise. If something that happens when you move out of the home into a structure like this, all of a sudden the, the, the mindset changes because we're affected by the world we're in. So uh, every church I've been in, we've done it in buildings, and I have no problem with that. The only trouble is the building can become an end in itself, and that's an unfortunate thing. And so you just have to be careful that the tail doesn't wag the dog. That's the, the, the essence of a church is the people, not the building. But you see, so many splits have even come over building. This is our building. This We built this thing. When we were CCAC, right across the street, that, what I call the basketball church, that church, my, my in-laws helped start that church, okay? That church got down to nine people. 
We offer to come in and help them. We'd bring somebody in here and we'd use a facility and we'd do this. No, because we don't want anybody to, you know, nine people. They finally lost it and they gave it up to a denomination who sold it to some Eastern religion group. And, you know, the problem is you become so possessive. Nine people and you're holding on to this building and then finally you lose it to something you don't want it to go to, you see. It's, it's, a just, it's, the, it's the question, but the other side to this is, I believe, personally. If you read in the Bible, there's so much about the church's family. Understand, God is addressing the church's family, not the church's organization. We need to function as family, not as an organization. We just do. The principles for the home are true to the church. That's why when you find church leadership, 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you can't lead well your own home, you shouldn't be leading the church. Because, And by the way then, you know the problem with that is? We don't run the church the way we run the home. We should though. So somebody who is a good leader in the home becomes a leader in the church and says, I don't know how to cope with this because you don't, you know, what I learned there doesn't apply here. It should. We should function the church the way we function the home. So a good, good shepherd here should become a good shepherd there. That's how God designed it. So just the caution. You know, there are people who the end all is to be a home church. That's not the end all, but understand that is where it began. And the closer to a family you, you stay, the closer to the Bible you will stay. That's true, uh, just as a fact. But, it isn't, but I, as a movement, I've, I've read a lot of the stuff in the movement, and it just bothers me because the movement itself is a concern, but the concept isn't necessarily all bad. I have a few more here, but if there's a question you want to just raise your hand and ask, I'll come right over. Um, we've um, moved here just recently, but the churches we were at before up in Bellingham um, were going through building processes. One church, they had both radical idea, different, radically different ideas of how to go about it. Um, one one was through prayer, uh, pledges, uh, borrowing from the bank. Uh, they both have land. And the other one is from prayer, um, waiting aside. And I think they've had the land for 10 years or more, and they still haven't built. And both have gone to two services. Um, one's busting at the gills, and they definitely could need a building. The other one's pretty full. Um, are Is one inherently wrong, or are both... Uh, no. How would you answer that? You know, it's not, when you get this, it's not right and wrong. But let me tell you about the body that I'm part of. I hope, I listen, I bought property, I built. Pastor Joe will tell you. I, I'm, I helped the CCAC finish the building they were doing down there. Then I said, buy a church next door. And I never put a second story in a building, but we did. Um, and um, I pounded way too many nails in my day, more than likely, Okay. Uh, just a fact of life. But that's neither here nor there. It's just sort of fun, and there's a discipling process you do when you do that. But now coming back to this, it isn't the right or wrong of it, but I hope the body we're in never owns a piece of property. I, I'm not saying they shouldn't, and I, I'm not there saying don't ever buy. I just like this renting business because, you know, somebody else keeps it up. They have the committees. They do all that stuff. We just come in and use it and abuse it. No, I'm joking. We don't. Uh, but the, the interesting part of it, 
You see, the trouble is the building. You, you look at where the budget goes. You look at what drives. I mean, missionary, okay? I remember a certain person going to a church, and, and the amount of money they'd put into just resurfacing the parking lot, if they put a third of that into missions, it'd be dynamic. It's just, it's just pretty soon the building controls. And then you sit in meetings and, and finances control. And, and the building becomes a center issue of your discussion. And see, I, I just won't let that be the center issue of the discussion. And one man who did a space shot, okay, he's big up in, in that sort of kind of stuff. He, he's sitting in a meeting one day. He says, I just praise God as I talk to other leaders of churches that our pastor will not let us get into that. I have no problem if, if the interesting thing is if God ever gave us a building, what, how we would properly use it so that it wouldn't be a controlling factor to us. But the trouble with it is the purpose is discipling people, not building physical buildings. Now, there's nothing wrong with the other. It's just, it just it, inherently in itself, there's nothing wrong. But there can be something wrong in how you go about doing it. So that's the issue. It's not a right or wrong issue. It isn't, that's not what it is. In Africa, it's nice because you just put up the stakes and the thatch roof and life is good. And you can have a church building pretty quickly. The other thing that's fun is to watching a body build a church. That's sort of fun to do too because then you see there's a camaraderie that builds in that. But churches that won't go into any debt in building, churches who do go in debt but don't let it become overriding to their life, all of those things are a part of it, and I don't think there's a right or wrong. I don't think that's the issue. I just, I'm back to this pyramid business. Keep it in perspective, okay? Uh, the only trouble is the higher in the pyramid you go, the farther away you get from the Word, and the more you get into man's way of doing it, and then you get man's method, and then you get on church on Sunday, you're trying to do this money all the time, and money becomes the issue, and then you've got, you know, goodness, these thermometers and all this kind of good stuff trying to raise the money. It's a, it's a tough thing, so there's no right or I don't do right or wrong business. I'm more into principles, and then you figure out what you do with them. But let me tell you, in a home, you can do the same thing. You can be overly obsessed with the house you're living in and putting so much into that, that and then you're spending so much time working to pay for the house. You're not spending time with your family. And when it's done, it's the family that counts, the time with them that counts, not the building you're living in. And God has graciously taken two houses away from us to help us understand that it's about, I said one time, you know, if, if everything else, if just my wife and I and God, that's enough. And then God gave her cancer. And I say, you know, if it's God and I, it's enough, okay? The trouble is the building becomes the obsession even in marriages and in homes, and that's a dangerous thing. So we have to do mega jobs and mega hours to try to pay for our houses. And, and the most important thing, Christmas time, it isn't even a biblical thing. It's not wrong to do, but it's not even a biblical thing anyhow. But if you're going to call it Christ's birthday, then make it Christ's birthday. But in the process of that, we're so busy out there trying to do Christmas, we don't even spend time with the people because we're too busy to do it. The people who really matter at Christmas. Just try to tell people, take the focus off of where it is financially and bring it back to people. So it, it's, that's the, it's the principle that's the issue, okay? It, it doesn't matter whether it's individually or corporately. You've got to be careful how you flesh it out. Okay, any uh, another question? Um. Question on uh, the olive tree that you stated that it represents, on Zechariah, that it represented Christ. Yes. Is that the same olive tree in Revelation chapter 11? No. Okay. What's, is it because of yeah, the description? You, yeah, but the, I'd have to do the context. I know Revelation 11, but that's, uh, i uh, tell you what, 
go on the internet and find chapter 11 of Revelation, look at it, but, but it isn't, uh, there is a, uh, an aspect of it there, but, but this context here specifically is in here simply for this vision. I know there are people who tie them together and therefore take the meaning of one to the other, but uh, there's a relationship, but it's not a direct correspondence across the board. What? The function of the, the olive tree in each two different chapters. Are yes, different well, because the interpretation of the one in chapter 4 is given to us in chapter 6 of the same book. And you're better to stay within that is what you need to do. But um, that is a good question. Another question? Um, in one of our discussion um, sessions, number three, um, there's a question that says, discuss some burdens that each must bear alone as opposed to the burdens that one can share with others. Can, uh, would you be able to provide an example of a, a burden that we must bear alone? Ooh-wee. You know, I think there's some things, probably intimate relationship you have with your wife that sometimes are better just kept right there. And sometimes when you, when I first got married, you know what I did because I've been so used to being able to go and sit with my mother and talk that I found myself wanting to go over there and sit and talk to her. Then I realized, you know what, if I've got a problem, it's right here and I need to talk with my wife, not with my mother. Um, by the way, one of the reasons is not just go, not golfing with Christians. I won't golf with other pastors, especially on a Monday morning. No, they get out there, you see, and when they're hitting those balls, they're hitting some deacon or something like that. Say, and they're out there, they're talking about the church and the problems of the church. I will never discuss the problems of the church I'm in with somebody else. Same with my marriage. If I have a problem, I'll deal with that thing. I'm not going to go to somebody else and talk about the church. I'm going to go to the church and talk about the church. And so I think there are things like this. There are things you have to be very circumspect on because... The intimacy of your marriage is there, and you've got to be careful. There are some things you can share, but some things you probably had not to share. And if you work them out between the two of you, uh, it's massive what God will do. The beauty of 44 years of marriage is because it's not been a simple journey for us. Some people, it just seems like it runs real nicely, okay, um, because we're so different. When we were first married, I couldn't get her to talk. She says it's because I talk too much and she couldn't get a word in edgewise. But now I can't stop her. But it's okay. That's okay, too. I like them. I like this better than that. But, you know, there were those mornings to 3 o'clock in the morning in Africa. And I'm going to get up an hour and a half later. Well, not even an hour and a half later, about a half hour later. And we were struggling through this stuff because it was nice. We had no TV. We had no radio. We had no nothing, no electricity. It's just the two of us out there in the end of a hill, right? And there's nothing we can do but talk to each other. The greatest thing happened in the mission field, and I saw dynamic things happen, was what happened between the two of us. But it was because God shut us up with each other, and we had to talk to each other and had to work through these things. And our marriage is today what it is because of that. But there are some of those things you have to deal privately, and they're not anybody else's business. Does that make sense? But there are times in a marriage that you probably need to go talk with somebody else and say, I'm struggling with this, but be careful how much you take somewhere else. Okay? So I would say that would be part of it. Uh, my wife and I share a ministry, but I don't bring stuff from the church home to her in the main. 
Now, I'm careful. I do talk with her a lot because there's one pastor who wouldn't take it home to his wife, but he took it home to his secretary and ended up in bed with the secretary. You have to be careful, but you see, there are certain things you just know. You know, you, you can open up, but be careful. There are certain things you probably ought to just walk through with the Lord alone on. And sometimes, by the way, you'll share something with your wife. You probably ought to just settle with God by yourself and not bother her with it. Because all you do is compound her problem. And it's really your own. Whence comes wars and fighting among you, James 4? Come they not hence of the lust that wage war in your members? You see, the reason for external bickering is because of an internal turmoil. If you took of the internal problem, you wouldn't have the external problem. And so many times you'll find in the problem with husband and wife is because you have an internal problem. If you'd settle it, you wouldn't have the external problem. So we, we go off on each other. Oh, husbands go off on wives. I'll leave it that way. I don't want to go to the other side. We go off on that, but sometimes we stop, we realize, you know what? That's not really a problem between me and her. It's a problem between me and me. And if I solve this, that will be solved. And that's the thing that you probably need to bear alone sometimes. Yeah. Another question? Okay, question for um, Ms. McDougall. Um, what was the greatest challenge you found in um, uh, leading or guiding your children as a mother of a pastor professor? Um, well, most definitely the greatest challenge was to try and... Um, live God's word um, because we are so different in personality um, I found that I had to live by the principles and the values in God's word and not by what I thought I needed and when I lived by those God eventually provided whatever need I thought that I had so that was probably the greatest challenge as far as living with him the greatest challenge people ask me if I run marathons I say, no, I don't run, but I run a marathon every day just to keep up with him. <laughs> okay. Questions? Here's a question. You mentioned many times of the principle, do not go beyond the Bible, not making rules you don't expect others, and you don't expect others to follow. Can you be specific and mention what criteria are you referring to? So in the example, it's kind of long. So in the example of not drinking alcohol, if that is your conviction, why not share it with others and expect them to follow it? So how do you balance being legalistic with versus obeying God's principle in the church and in the home? I'm going to skirt that one, not because I mind dealing with it, but let's talk about something else. You know, the past... Telling people you shouldn't smoke because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're destroying it, you see, with the smoke. My friend, you destroy it with the cholesterol you shove down your system. Uh, you probably die more from that. You're going to die from smoking. But uh, So it's just, you see a fat pastor preaching about how somebody ought to, you know, watch what they're doing. You're saying something's, you know, something's wrong here, okay? And so the, the issue is that, but, but let me tell you what this is. I will not let anything control me. When I find myself liking anything too much, I walk away from it. I just do, because it doesn't matter what it is, and that's the whole issue of the, it's not an alcohol problem. The, the problem is it becomes so obsessive, but it doesn't matter if it's alcohol or whatever in the world it may be. The, the principle of Scripture is to make sure nothing controls you, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. 
Um, when I was first married, it was Kool-Aid. I could drink a whole half gallon of that stuff at a meal. Yeah, I did. I understand it was sugar I was after, okay? And I just, I walked away from that stuff in a hurry. Uh, I don't care what it is. When I find myself, something starts to become a habit that you do. I just, I just flat out walk away from it. I just, it doesn't matter what it is. It can't control you. It just, it's just, it's the principle of life. Goes back to Genesis one, where you're supposed to be the one to rule, not be ruled, and you just have to make sure you control your own life, and uh, that's what you have to do. So that is the caution. But the Bible doesn't say to abstain from alcohol. It says to make sure that you don't huh, stay long with a bottle. That's the big part, see. And uh, that's just where it is. Me, I just choose to not do it at all. But then I choose to do an awful lot of things not at all. So they tried to get me to drink Coke. You see, one day the staff shoved it in front of me, see. Um, See, so much, it isn't a matter of that, and I won't get into those things, because even that, you see, is not healthy for your system, and you can get hooked onto that. I don't care what it is, okay? But I won't let those become the issue either. So I drink my Coke a year, and the guy, last cup of coffee, by the way, these old fellas down in Oklahoma, I show up, and these old guys, they not let me on the golf course, yes, but we get talking, and so these old guys says, you know what, let me treat you a cup of coffee. I wasn't about to say I don't drink coffee. I drank his cup of coffee, I did. Um, I don't let those things become rules to me, but let me tell you what, dependency on anything is not healthy. But I don't preach that, okay? <laughs> Unless the context is dealing with that, but I don't, I don't get off on the coffee and on the coke and on this kind of thing. I just don't do that. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not drink these things. It just doesn't do it, okay? So do it if you will. But the issue is a control factor, and you must be the one that controls your life, not let something else control you. That's the issue. doesn't matter what in the world it is. You can be obsessive with anything, and you've got to be careful you're not. The only thing is the principle, and so the principle I will preach. But the application, I'm, I, I'm very, I don't talk about. I, I've introduced here, but I won't talk about because they're not the issue. They're not the issue. One has to be careful with that. I just can't find a verse that says, I shall not drink alcoholic beverages. Can't find it. In fact, isn't it, doctors, it's healthy to drink a glass of wine a day? I think for your health, I think it is, frankly. I don't plan to do it, but I think it is. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I'm not going there. So the issue is not that. Okay. Okay, any other questions? Just raise your hand. Come on over. Okay, maybe we'll end with this one. Um, uh, what do you see as the, this person writes, what is you see as the biggest um, threat from the world on the church? What predominant teaching or philosophy that is going on in the church that uh, we need to be guarded against? My goodness. You know the problem with that question? There's no problem with the question. Don't, don't get me wrong. The, the world is not going to wreck the church. The church is going to wreck the church. No, we will crumble from within, not from without. That's a spiritual issue. It's a national issue. It's a church issue. Um, we, we get so busy attacking what the world's doing. See, listen to me. The divorce rate is getting up almost as high within the church as it is outside of the church. Are you with me? It's just a, the problem with this is, you see, so 
I love to laud the thing. We've got a couple down there. We've been married for 62 years. This is sort of exciting, say. And you, you push those things. But, but just to tell you, the problem is from within. We are crumbling from within, not from without. And when we start to crumble from within, it's the issue, by the way, if I could do even Zechariah. It's interesting because in Zechariah chapter 11, God gives him two things. The shepherd comes in, gives him two staves. One is favor, one is unity. When, when you're right with God... God gives you unity within and favor from without. But when you're not right with God, God says, I broke both of the staves. There's no favor from without. There's no unity from within. The problem for the, for the church is not outside, it's inside. And this nation, by the way, we're not going to get destroyed from without. We're going to start destroyed from within. And eventually every nation has. When you start to crumble from within, you will crumble from without. So do I think there is a basic thing? I'm just, I'm concerned with the lethargy within the church more than I am with anything outside the church. And you can become so busy attacking the stuff out there, you see. Um, see, it isn't what's happening out there that bothers me, it's what's happening within the church that bothers me. Because if the church is strong, the world would be strong because we'd make it strong. When we become weak, it becomes weak. And when this nation becomes weak, then, you know, the whole thing's going to fall apart. It's falling apart from within, not from without. That is the issue. That is the issue. Well, we, we uh, very much appreciate you coming, Pastor McDougall, and uh, have appreciated the ministry this weekend.